For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. And ladies and gentlemen, we are back from the 2023 NFL Draft in Kansas City. And today, you guys know what's going on. It's a full recap of Washington's pick. Round one, round two, all the way to round seven. I even want to talk about a few UDFAs and a couple guys that got a rookie minicamp invite to expect in these next couple weeks. The guys that may earn a roster spot. Now, I'm not saying they're going to lock up a roster spot, but guys that can come in the building and compete for snaps and force GM Martin Mayhew, Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, and Eric Bieniemy, the brain trust in Washington, to look at their papers again and say, who the hell is this kid? This kid can play a little bit. Maybe he has a role moving forward. Maybe we bring him into training camp and see how he competes against some of the veterans on this roster. And of course, some of the rookies are going to be there as well. But Guys, look, bottom line, I loved what Washington did in this draft. And I know there's a lot of questions on night one. We'll get into that as far as with the discourse that knee-jerk reactions had over with Christian Gonzalez obviously slipping down the board, going to the New England Patriots with him on the board available. Washington wanted to take him. Obviously going the route of Emmanuel Forbes, corner from Mississippi State, a guy that I introduced you guys to a while back as far as the premier ball hawk in the class with off-the-charts instincts and a guy that, comparably to anybody in this class, it doesn't match up to as far as his ability to get the ball back for an offense and at times just take it back for six himself. But that's not all that Emmanuel Forbes is. So in the first round, right, 16th overall pick, Washington took Emmanuel Forbes' corner out of Mississippi State and... As the days went on, hours went on, and you heard Martin Mayhew and Ron Rivera discuss this pick and what they wanted in a corner on the perimeter. And it was a guy to help that turnover margin. We talked about that a ton. Getting the ball back to an offense that scored 18.9 points per game last year. Guys, that ain't going to cut it. It has to be better. I don't care if I'm under center, you're under center, Sam Howell or Jacoby Brissett or some unnamed commodity out there right now that has to be better with the talent in the building now there's a difference between looking on paper right and executing on the football field but when you look at a guy what Emmanuel Forbes will offer we've talked so much about the instincts and the ball skills but who is he when he's not hitting interceptions and I think that's really where the conversation starts because there's a guy in the name of Trayvon Diggs so I'm sure all of you guys are familiar with right local kid from the DMV went down to Alabama Played wide receiver, play, and then converted to corner at Bama. And the production, obviously, in 2021 was immense with his interceptions. But when he wasn't picking off the football, 
He was a complete turnstile. But you look at Emmanuel Forbes and his ability to play man, right? He can play inside that contact window because even though, guys, he is 165 pounds, I know there's a lot of worry with that, especially in the run game. I completely understand. For all these last few days, Emmanuel Forbes against A.J. Brown, Emmanuel Forbes against a guy like Mike Evans. How is that going to match up from strictly just height, weight, height, weight? Obviously, the matchup goes to the other guys at suspension. But then you turn on the tape of Emmanuel, his competitive, his competitiveness in the ground game to blow up guys in the backfield. Look at his TFLs. That shows me as a corner that he's willing to stick his face in in the flat areas of the defense. Again, playing man inside the contact window, rerouting guys. Then if a guy, if he takes a false step, he has to retrace those steps 40, 50 yards down the field, potentially chasing a guy in a nine route. He can elongate those strides because work up to four, three within 10 yards extremely quick and then get that head around use those appendages and whether he wants to pick off the football or a pbu or deflect it in the air and here comes Derek forrest or cam curl over the top so you're getting a guy in the building that ladies and gentlemen i will not be surprised if he has four or five picks this year and he may take back one or two we are talking about an individual on the outside where corners excuse me quarterbacks are going to absolutely hate to target because of his ability to understand what offensive concepts are doing. You want to blow up a screenplay? He's not just going to blow up and tackle a guy. He's going to blow through that lead block and pick off the football and take it back. You want to try to try him on a nine route down the boundary? He's going to shield you on his back, jump up in the air and, and take it above the rim off your head. He can do that too. You want to sit him back in, in zone and have to communicate inside to a guy like Cody Barton and look back to Cam Curl and, and, and Derek Forrest rolling in the box? and communicate as far as where their landmarks are in coverage, who's passing off whom, he can do that. You saw it a ton at Mississippi State. So bottom line with Emmanuel Forbes, I love the pick. As these days have gone on, again, have come around more and more and more because of how Martin Mayhew and Rivera valued their board and who they wanted at that spot. They didn't want Christian Gonzalez. Guys, he was my CB1 because I thought he was the most fluid corner in the class and most refined as a pure cover corner in man and zone. But that's not what Washington wanted right now. They wanted a guy that will increase the turnover margin and get takeaways and boost that in dramatic fashion. And they flat out got their guy. Not a single guy in the class that you'd rather have really from a takeaway perspective in the last few years. They did it last year with Jahan Dotson as far as him being their guy. And I respect the heck out of Washington Brass for doing that because scouting guys, boards are all different across the league, but inside league circles, Forbes was extremely valued and thought highly of because of his ability to get the ball back to the offense. So within the first round with the number 16 overall pick, Manuel Forbes corner from Mississippi State, I am extremely excited to see this kid in the next few weeks and the next few months as we lead up to September. Then we come back in the second round and take Jartavis slash Quan Martin from Illinois. See, We'll see what he wants to go by in DC, but this is an ad that I love as well because ladies and gentlemen, we know how much Washington values versatility within their defense. You want a guy that can be a tight end eraser over the middle of the field? You want a guy that can play within the box and blitz those A and B gaps or come off on, the, on a rat blitz outside the tackles or show pre-snap that he's playing a tight end man and then roll back into a, a deep cover three look? 
Quan Martin can do all of those things, and then you add in the athletic intangibles that he has. 5'11", 190. So not the biggest guy in the world. 446, 40. 44 inches in the vert. An 11-1 broad. He's extremely explosive. You watch his tape. I mentioned he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's not 6'1", 6'2", 205, 210 plus pounds of a thicker body. But he is somebody at near 200 pounds that with thir- with nearly 32-inch arms, a tick above 31, that can be ultra-physical for you in your defense. And it's more young playmakers. We look at this Washington secondary, first two picks, they got guys on the back end that could do not just a, little, a lot of things for you, but provide a physical, competitive, and production at a multitude of spots. You want to slide in Emmanuel Forbes at nickel and offer some unique looks? You want to just stick him on the outside and keep him there? We can do that, absolutely. Quan Martin plays with a physicality and athleticism and versatility to his game that fits the modern game. And the modern game in Washington to where you look at guys in years past like a Landon Collins, where he was bigger and thicker and lived inside that 5-10 to yard range at 220 plus pounds. That's not what Quan Martin is. But you look at what Derek Forrest has offered. You look at what even a guy like Jeremy Reeves has offered. Or what Percy Butler could offer this year, staying at the roof alongside Cam Curl, because there is no more Bobby McCain. That is a lot of young playmakers that offer a lot of things for you. And bottom line, it's competing for snaps. Because guys, we re-signed Danny Johnson to come back this year. Kendall Fuller, we know, is best at nickel. But when you draft Emmanuel Forbes to most likely start opposite of Benjamin St. Juice and you bring in a guy like Cameron Dantzler from Minnesota as potentially what looked upon to be your CB3, who's now your CB4, Quan's going to compete with Danny. Is Kendall going to want to slide into nickel and play some there? That's competition as well. Is he going to be here this fall? We will see. There's a lot more roster moves to be settled until we check off all the boxes and, and finalize that final 53. But Quan Barton... Offenses nowadays, guys, they don't just keep X receivers on the outside. You want to try to get guys in the slot to try to get those free releases off the line of scrimmage. That, again, that five to seven yard range to where Devontae Adams in the years in Green Bay and what he's done in Vegas or Mike Evans, as I mentioned earlier in Tampa Bay, they put Cooper Cup with the Los Angeles Rams. They try to get guys in the slot to get those free releases on quick timing routes. And if they have to, stretch the seam, force that safety to play inside the hashes, which opens up play to the perimeter. But you get a guy like Quan Martin, who really, from a nickel-slash-safety perspective, for me, was right behind Alabama's Brian Branch that ultimately went to Dan Campbell's Detroit Lions. But guys, Quan Martin is going to be an individual to where you, you guys know how much I love athletes at the secondary, that you got to buckle up. When he's on the football field. And I just love athletes that provide a physical brand of football. You don't have to be a a guy that's built in the Sean Taylor mold to crack somebody. Right? And Quan Martin, not only can he crack you, but he's also a sound tackler in space. Where not everything has to be a DJ Swearinger coming down to the A and B gaps trying to blow you up with my shoulder. Oh, you're bouncing off me. Now you're down. You're 15, 20 yards down the field and I'm chasing you on tape. Quan Martin will come down and crack you, but also wrap around you and then take the ball out, right? Technically sound, getting his helmet on the football, punching the ball out and then bringing you to the ground and then 
other hats rallying to the football because we know the other athletes that are within Washington's defense. So I thought extremely highly of Martin Martin Mayhew and, and Ron Rivera as far as their first two picks in this draft to stick to their board and take two guys within a secondary to where we know it was a need at corner to get an outside corner and a guy that can play at nickel and live there for you as he did within that Illinois defense and offer you some more versatility in the safeties room as well. So those first two picks, Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State and Quan Martin from Illinois checks off a lot of boxes for me within the secondary. But as we move in to round three, this is where we get uh, we get a lot of fun. I loved the Ricky Stromberg pick from Arkansas. Now, when you look at this pick, I think back to when they took Juan at 47. Now, John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota, my top center on the board, was there at 47 if Washington wanted him. Ultimately went to the New York Giants, who we're going to see for a long, long time. He's a heck of a ball player, but you know, I'm going to take Deron Payne and John Allen against John Michael Schmitz, especially within the first few years of his career, but he's a heck of a young man, a heck of a young player, and he will be for the Giants front five. But Ricky Stromberg is somebody that has risen in this pre-draft process immensely within league circles. Really looked upon as a solidified late day three guy as we moved into November, December, January. But then you turn on the tape and you see him at the pro day and, and you see him at the combine. And he was just somebody that overwhelmingly impressed, especially in the interview room and when you put him on a whiteboard and you ask him to identify coverages from what he's looking at from the front five. And ladies and gentlemen, we know what is the future of Chase Roulier. Look, we know he could potentially be a top 10 center in the NFL when he is healthy. But the last two years, right, we just have not seen him play. And the best ability, you guys know, is availability. You got to be on the football field. But then you get a guy like Ricky Stromberg. Usually you don't see teams start a extremely young center with an extremely young quarterback. And that could be the case with Stromberg and, and Sam Howell, obviously, with this year. But you just signed Nick Gates, right? Coming over from the New York Giants that has that center guard versatility as well. And Tyler Larson is also there. And I already mentioned Rulier. So that's four names right there, folks. That could align that center for you. Now, I think Larson is the least favorite to start among those guys. But Ricky Stromberg, now there's some technical deficiencies in his game. Not everything is perfect, right, from these players as far as things to work on. I want to see him sink in his anchor a little bit more. I want to see him keep, keep his feet active, right? He plays a little bit over his toes a little bit too much for me at times just because he is so powerful in his hands and understanding how to play with leverage to where he wants to get his hands on guys first. But I want to sink him a little bit more. I like him in space. I want to see a little bit more flexibility in the lower half to ability to get out and seal guys. But I also love his ability to pick up stunts and blitzers and identify what defenses are doing within the front seven. Because we know how unique these defensive fronts in the NFC East can be. You guys know who the Eagles took in this draft. I don't need to talk about Jalen Carter all day long or Nolan Smith. We know who the Giants have. We know who Dallas has. They made some nice additions in this draft. They drafted Mozzie Smith with their first pick out of Michigan, a big boy that's going to live at, at nose, that one, that three tech, that's going to give some issues to Washington's front three for a long time. He's a heck of a player. He's going to have a good career in Dallas. But I like what Washington did in addressing that center and guard position, not just right early here with Ricky, but with Nick Gates. And then the next pick that I want to talk about and that's Braden Daniels from Utah. Again, I talked about it with Quan as far as versatility. 
you got to get guys along the front five that can do a multiplicity of things for you, not just throw a body in and see what happens. Actually put him in the building, put him along the front five, and he can actually produce for you. Left tackle all the way to right tackle, you could legitimately make a case that Braden Daniels could compete at any spot that seems fit. Now, I know the concerns right now is that he is a little light, right? He's 294, so you'd like him, to, depending on the position, to bulk up a little bit. But when you look at Braden Daniels, I love his ability to mirror and match edge rushers or guys within the interior. Now, he's not going to be someone, ladies and gentlemen, that he is overwhelmingly in, in, as dominant and physical and blowing people off the football. That's not Braden Daniels' game. But what I do love and what I do appreciate, and I think this is a pick that has a ton of value and will outplay his draft slot, is his ability to get out and pull as a zone blocker. Now, we know Washington with Eric Bieniemy, they can run some gap, they'll run some power, downhill, down your throat type of football. But then you have guys in the building. They added Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky. I'll get to him in just a little bit. But with Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, especially with Antonio, to get him out in space a little bit, do, do some unique things, or even RPOs with Sam Howell, you're pulling that backside guard on, on, on an RPO with Sam. He takes that thing. He's, he's scurrying out to the perimeter. He can follow Braden Daniels right behind him. And I love his ability to flip those hips, seal guys inside. He's extremely intelligent along the front five, just as I mentioned with Ricky Stromberg, as far as what he's looking at and what defenses are doing, who's coming from where, who are my assignments, so I communicate left and right, understand what's going on. Now, it's not going to be perfect, guys. It's not. There's a transition, obviously, from the Pac-12 at Utah, a good program, pumps out talent every year, to the NFL and potentially a starting spot along Washington's front five. In the years to come, I don't see immediately him starting right away, potentially barring injury. You never know. Knock on wood. Things happen. But a guy that can play a lot of spots for you, not just within the interior, at both guard spots, he could potentially play both spots at tackle. And we just got to get guys in the building that can succeed. Bottom line, you got to come in and produce along the front five. John Matsko is no longer there along the front five as coach, right? We know how many bodies shuffle in and out over these last few years, and really every year for every single offensive line, it's just some have to shuffle more than others. But what I appreciate about Braden Daniels' game is when he does lose a step, when he does have a guy that can able to jump inside quick or beat him to the outside if he happens to often overstep and false set sometimes and really kick step out there and say, oh, hey, I got to dig that foot in the ground and work back up in my set. He is able to recover extremely quickly, not just with the lower half to kick those feet and get his footwork in position to halter guys, but win with his hands as well. Even though they aren't extremely powerful, he wins with leverage and he wins with technicality and you add the athleticism into it and you got a guy that could potentially start for a long, long time within the interior. So going from there, we start to have some fun off the edge, folks. We start to get some bodies to compete on the outside with Chase Young and Montez Sweat. We're forgetting that Shaka Tony, right? Penn State is going to be out the entire year after the suspension came down for gambling. James Smith-Williams, William Bradley King, F.A. Obata, Casey Tuhill, those guys are still on the roster. But you have to get some legit starter potential on the outside. And that's what you get in a guy... From K.J. Henry out of Clemson, Power 5 kid, highly recruited, as someone along that Clemson front that I think was extremely underrated and not talked about. Clemson front seven that has 
Jeremiah Trotter, linebacker that's going to be drafted high next year. Brian Brzee, a guy like Xavier Thomas. We know Miles Murphy. KJ Henry wasn't looked upon as a guy that received a ton of attention this year. He just kind of fell into the shadows of those other guys. It's really what happened. Even a guy like Barrett Carter next to Jeremiah Trotter Jr., who could be drafted high next year as well. Potential top 35, 45 pick. All those names within that front seven. But you look at KJ. Now, he's not someone that is going to be an elite edge setter in the run game. You think of a guy like Nolan Smith, right? Went late day one to the Eagles as far as he's 235 pounds, but he can set the run as good as anybody in this draft. KJ doesn't have that strength, that overall ability to anchor against these offensive tackles and really be that force off the edge. And he's not overwhelmingly dynamic, right? Mid four, six, 40, 31 and a half in the vert, nine, four broad. So those little intangibles don't blow off the board, right? Don't open your eyes a ton, but he's got good size, 6'4", 250. He's a grown-ass man on the edge, so you're not worried about that. He's going to succeed in the strength and conditioning program. Obviously, you get guys coming from a Power 5 program like Clemson. He's going to be able to come in right away and not have a tremendous grace period adjusting to the speed. Now, there, don't get me wrong here. There's adjustment, obviously, coming from whatever conference. I don't care if you're coming from the SEC to the NFL game. But you come from a Power 5 program that pumps out talent every single year. An edge rusher that, again, he's got 33 for arms, 250. There's some tools to work with there. And then you turn on the tape. You watch him against Louisville. You watch him against Georgia Tech. In those games, at times, he looks dominant in portions. Just extremely athletic. And I think his play is much more impressive than just looking at a guy in t-shirt and shorts. And that's why, guys, it's not always the best plan of action to look at a combine and look at his explosiveness or his drills and say, ah, I don't want this guy. Turn on the tape and see what he offers for you. And you look at what he could offer in this Washington defense potentially as a DPR on pass rush situations behind Chase Young and Montez Sweat, guys that have to be pushed. I love that fit. He's got extremely quick uh, feet to get off the line of scrimmage, to blow off as far as tackles in the run game, to work to the inside, right? As I mentioned earlier, I don't want him standing there and trying to take on pullers, take on tackles, and be that edge setter. I love when he's firing inside. He's an excellent twister when working from that five tech to work into three tech, so you can do some unique things with John Allen, Deron Payne. If, if, if Chase or Montez is off the field, you're lining him standing up at five tech in the two-point stance, and you have Duran, you want to run a TN stunt and work him into the inside. He's extremely refined in that game. Quick, powerful hands. I love his pass rush repertoire. That's advanced in his game for me. He's not a guy that tries to win to the outside every time. Like we see a lot of these young rushers coming to the league. Where he really makes his money is working to the inside. Because he can win with power and he can win with speed. Try to threaten that outside shoulder. Put that foot in the ground and work to that inside shoulder on a tackle. I I really do like this KJ Henry pick. Guy at the Senior Bowl that I enjoyed watching. Guy that I've enjoyed getting to know in this class as far as a leader. A guy that can come in and lead within the locker room and within the hashes on Sunday. And I love the role that he could have in this defense. Not a guy that's going to start right away in all three downs, but push the guys in front of him because we know this is a massive season for both Chase and Montez. So I love the KJ Henry pick. From there, We are going to the offensive side of the football. This is where, I told you guys months ago from when I heard out of the building, this is where that range to where Washington wanted to add a running back. 
that will boost their room. Now, I thought they were going to go a little bit with some more juice here, but Chris Rodriguez Jr. from Kentucky, another senior bowl guy, is somebody that will push Brian and Antonio Gibson. The, the, the success that he had at Kentucky, he missed the first four games of the season this year, but he provides a similar type of game that Brian does. And I don't want to pigeonhole him into that Peyton Barber role. He will by no means, guys, be that J.D. McKissick type of ball player to where I really thought that that could be the fit for Washington's offense. But obviously they valued him enough to take him here on day three to push for snaps. Because bottom line, we don't know, as far as Brian Antonio, right, we know right here, right now, on May 1st, that Antonio and Brian are going to be RB1 and RB2. But Antonio Gibson, from what I've been told, is going to be used in a flex role. Not just in the backfield, but in space, where he was best coming out of school. So you need another guy in the building that can tote the rock, potentially 10 dimes game for you, as that third ball carrier. And at six foot, 200, nearly 220 pounds, look at Brian Robinson, nearly over 220 pounds. Antonio, over 220 pounds. That's a lot of man coming at you. A lot of bulk, a lot of beef coming at you. He's not extremely, has a ton of wiggle or agility or a guy that's going to be dynamic as a, as a guy that has hands in space. But that's why I think that Antonio Gibson is going to fill that role. Remember, Jonathan Williams is still on the roster. He's a lot like Chris Rodriguez as well. A little bit more juice than Chris has. But Chris Rodriguez was second in the SEC in rushing yards a game in 2022. 20 career games with 100-plus rush yards. That's a school record for Kentucky in the SEC. He's uber successful. And I don't want to label him as a guy you want to bring in and at the goal line and try to punch it in from five yards because you got to have a guy like Brian Robinson. And we saw it last year with Scott Turner to where we don't want to run the ball inside the five-yard line. I think we will do that and continues to stay creative inside those red areas this year where Washington has to punch it in under Eric Bannum. He cannot settle for field goals. But this is competition at another spot where Washington is still young. But again, getting guys in the building to where there is job security, of course. Again, I mentioned Brian and Antonio are going to be RB1 and RB2. But you get a guy in the building like this that has had success at the Power 5 level, an uber amount of success, tough as nails, run through you. Again, not a ton of wiggle to create outside of the tackles and in space as a pass catcher. That's not going to be his game. But as a physical downhill runner that you want to have on your side of the things or take into an alley as we work into December and January, this is the type of guy that you like. So I like the depth here with Chris Rodriguez from Kentucky. So from there, we wrap it up with a guy that I I love. I really do. Um, I'm interested to see what his role is going to be. But this is the second straight year that Washington has taken a guy out of Louisiana Lafayette. Remember, they took Percy Butler on day three last year. And this is a program that continues to pump out players. Elijah Mitchell, you guys know that name, went to San Fran a couple years ago. Max Mitchell, the tackle, was drafted by the Jets last year. They would have had another guy drafted this year if it weren't for a... a unfortunate car accident by the name of Michael Jefferson, big six foot four kid, super athletic. Hope he gets his opportunity. He's unfortunately going to have to sit out this year. So prayers to him and his journey. But Andre Jones, there's something to work with with this kid, guys. Seventh rounder, right? We know this is a spot the last few years that Washington has gone, right? You look at Shaka Tony, William Bradley King, James Smith Williams, all seventh rounders. This is a guy, look, nice size, 34s for arms. Length, right? Length, length, length on the outside. 
And the main thing about Andre is you're not expecting him to come right away and be a, have a guy that has substantial role and substantial snaps. But those are intangibles from a physical profile perspective that you really like. 34 and an eighth on the arm to be exact. That matters. Those are things that teams look for and prioritize with these edge rushers. Not the most twitchy Bendy, he, he's got some twitch to him, don't get me wrong, but he's not overwhelmingly twitchy to where he can really explode up the line of scrimmage and work to the outside and bend around the edge. And, and you look, you see that drill from that you see at the combine to where they're running the hoop and they're picking up the towels. Not going to be the most fluid type of guy in that ankle flexion that you want to see in the lower half. Not going to be a dominant run defender for you. But the name of the game is getting after the quarterback. And when you have a guy with an athletic profile like this, production at Louisiana Lafayette like he did, someone that's not afraid to cut his teeth and work up a depth chart here in the seventh round, I like the pick a lot. So recapping Washington's entire draft, Manuel Forbes, Quan Martin, Ricky Stromberg, Braden Daniels, KJ Henry, Chris Rodriguez, and Andre Jones. A UDFA that I wanted to talk about just a little bit before we get out of here is Mitchell Tinsley. That will be at rookie minicamp. I've talked about him a little bit in the past. Some of that stood out for me during this pre-draft process. A stud at Western Kentucky before transferring into Penn State really holstered that Jahan Dotson role for the Nittany Lions this year. Six foot one, over 200 pounds. There wasn't a single corner that could hold his lunch during this pre-draft process. Initially went to NFLPA, so one of the lower bowls on the list, right? The headliners are Senior Bowl and Shrine. NFLPA is right in that tier two. He was unstoppable. Then he goes to Shrine and earns an invite, and if you haven't seen it yet, you can check out my Twitter, underscore Ryan Fowler, to where I have a clip of him against Louisville corner Keetrell Clark that is going to have, I think is going to have a heck of a career in Arizona as a day three guy that they got a ton of value out of, but he was working Keetrell, and this is a guy that can cover now. The Keetrell is no slouch. Mitchell Tinsley, physical in the air, a lot what Jahan Dotson offers, not extremely refined as a route runner and twitched up like Jahan is, or the hands, this ability to make it extremely smooth. But Mitchell has some things to like, and I really like. And I, I think he's going to be a guy that stands out at rookie minicamp. Remains to be seen as far as how Washington's receiver depth chart is going to work out. We know the guys at the top. We know the guys at the top. You guys don't need me to go over the names. But when you look back to the guys in Dax Milne and Marcus Kemp, who came over from Kansas City to follow Eric Bieniemy, potentially a spot. You got to get guys that can compete for snaps and potentially be that a guy that lives on the practice squad and succeeds for you, right? We want to see more from Deami Brown away from just being a nine route guy against Tennessee. Got to have more from a day two guy, you know, more than just once every year, a flash, right? We got to have more than that. So getting guys in the building that can compete for you and won't be afraid to challenge guys like Diami and Dax and Marcus for a roster spot if need be and someone I think that could cut his teeth on special teams if he had to as well, even though he doesn't have that athletic profile you look for to a guy that potentially come on, on special teams as a returner and provide some pop there. So we didn't really fill that role right now. I think potentially that could be, you know, we saw the last few years, we saw Dax Milne return punts, we saw Alex Erickson. Got to get a guy in the building that can do that. That spot is still not filled. Mitchell Tinsley will not be that guy, but I think he can do a variety of things for you on the outside and he will compete for snaps and he will impress. I expect him to impress in rookie minicamp. So ladies and gentlemen, that does it for Washington's 2023 draft, a class that I love from top to bottom. The more and more you sit back, you look at these guys' skill sets, what they can do in Washington. I respect the heck 
out of Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew for sticking to their board, sticking with their guys that they want to get in the building, no matter what the quote-unquote consensus says. If it's your guy, go and get your guy and develop that guy and coax that guy into your scheme and what you want to do. Don't don't just select a guy like we've seen in years past and plug him in and hope it works. Take your guy from a scheme fit perspective and plug him into your defense and plug him into your offense and coach him up. We know we have the coaches in place to succeed and now it's just about executing on the football field. So I always appreciate you guys' time. You don't follow me on Twitter already, underscore Ryan Fowler. I am all my written work, audio, video content is at thedraftnetwork.com. I will have an episode out for you planning to have an episode out for you next Monday. I know it's been a crazy last week or so, right? I'm sure some of you maybe even out in Kansas City enjoying the draft, but now we got these guys in the building. We can start playing ball, folks. We can start strapping up and start cracking pads here soon. And that is the most exciting time of the year as we move forwards training camp, right? OTAs, and of course, the regular season in the next few months. So I'll talk to you guys soon. Always appreciate your time. I'm Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.